Poya. This is Robbie. Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic. And thanks for joining us again. This week's episode is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite. Oracle NetSuite, I think, solves a really important problem that a lot of startups, business owners, executives face, which is how do you get the information that you need instantly all in one place? Before we upgraded the Oracle NetSuite at my last startup, it used to take us a lot of time to pull the information reports that we needed for our quarterly investment meeting or the report that we wanted to send to both internal employees as well as stakeholders and shareholders at the end of the month. Upgrade to Oracle NetSuite today so you can get the visibility and control you need over your financials, HR, inventory, and everything you need in one place that you can access instantly. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com scale. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com scale. That is netsuite.com slash scale. All right, welcome back to another episode of Uncharted and Eclectic. We have an especially exciting guest today, Laura Kendall, VP of Marketing from Mad Kudu. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Robbie and Poya. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. And, we, and we're up early today, so we appreciate you joining us first thing in the morning, live from San Jose. Um, so, Laura, we always kind of like to start by learning a little bit more about just you and, and where you grew up and what your parents were like and if you had any siblings and kind of just like a little bit of a sneak peek into the origin story of Laura. I love that. So, um, and I love telling the story because it's, it's fun and I think it's pretty unique, but um, I even created my own hashtag, which I'll share. Um, but I was, I actually grew up in Wisconsin and I was raised on a dairy farm. Um, so uh, yeah, I, you know, huge factor in, I think my work ethic and, and definitely where my love for cheese comes from. Um, but, um, you know, there's so much that, you know, it was such a crazy experience and, and so fun. I had two siblings, my parents um, both came from farms themselves. And so it was kind of in their blood and, and in the family, um, both very large Catholic families. And so lots of helping hands on the farm, so to speak. And, um, you know, what you learn from, you know, having to make something from nothing or, you know, you're tasked with, you know, taking care of animals with a pitchfork, you know, a roll of duct tape and a five gallon pail, like you just make it work and, and you, you improvise and you adapt. And I think a lot of that is, is ingrained in me and, and reflects in, in how I lead teams and how I, you know, think about and approach marketing. Um, but you know, that, that being kind of the start of, of a grander story, hopefully, um, considering I moved from Wisconsin to, to the Bay area and got into tech and, and the way that kind of happened is, um, you know, I started my career officially in B2B marketing during college. I, I joined a small marketing team at, um, at the time, the largest commercial real estate firm, um, in the area. And, and then I was, I was attending the business school at, at University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I thought I wanted to go down a path of certainly marketing, but, um, also urban land development and, and, uh, you know, very glad that I, I jumped in and, and took that internship and worked with them to learn that real estate is not for me. Um, so I think there's a, a whole podcast that we could do on, on things to learn, you know, learning what not to do is just as important as learning what to do. Um, but that's really where I gained a, a ton of respect for the importance of like sales and marketing alignment and the need for data in every conversation. Um, things like 
like I thought it was so cool that we did things like consider foot traffic on a corner of a not so busy street to help sell retail space or um, like I was in, involved in running some of the sales and leasing meetings and so how data plays into you know whether or not like it, it, it's like a it's like a pipeline meeting um, before I moved to to B2B SaaS. Um, and then you know I've really been in, in B2B marketing ever since. So I, I did a few years of life science or in the life sciences industry before I moved to the Bay Area and, and kind of got swept away in the tech and SaaS world. Amazing. So you mentioned you made a hashtag. Um, can you tell us that story? Yeah. So it was, um, it was the hashtags farm to tech. So a little play on farm to table, but you know, just, just from my roots to where I feel like I fit in now, I found my people. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I, so I grew up right in the middle of San Francisco and in the Haight-Ashbury. Like it couldn't have been a more urban existence. Like yeah. we weren't, we couldn't have been farther from, you know, uh, making cheese on the farm. Although I too love cheese. Um, what do you think is like maybe one of the things you mentioned hard work, but maybe like a second um, personality trait that you developed growing up on a farm that like you brought with you into the tech world that even despite everything that, um, even despite like working in this world for, for 10 years has like really stuck with you. I'm curious, like when you say farm to tech, like what's the part of the farm that is still very much part of Laura? I, I feel like resilience comes to mind first and foremost, because there's, there's definitely um, an element of you have to, like I mentioned, you have to do a lot with with little and you have to be able to, um, you know, when the going gets tough, like you can't control the weather, you can't control the seasons and when they come, um, but you can't really not, you know, do, you know, work in the fields or, or plant crops or, you know, go with the flow. Um, so I, I think resilience is probably, um, you know, what I would put as a second to, to that, that hard work and work ethic. As, as you're bringing that up, I'm just thinking about uh, how resilient people had to be this year with all the changes yeah. and, and, the, and the current falls. And it sounds like you got your training from day one back in Wisconsin. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fast forwarding here, but uh, one of the reasons I wanted to um, invite you to the show is as people are kind of thinking about their next move, some folks might be looking for their next gig. Some might not be happy and they're looking as well. I think one of the things that's really important is having a set of criteria, and the criteria you usually have on day one is different than like your third or fourth job and mm -hmm. one of the things that you brought up which i thought was really uh, valuable is it's as important to know what you don't like as what you do like um and some of that just comes with experience as you've gotten older and now that you've like recently joined with kudu I'd love to know, like, I guess the first part of my question is like, what was the important uh, factors in your decision-making when you joined the Kudu? Like, why then? Like, what was like, as part of that criteria? And the second part, given that you're the first um, marketing executive hire, uh, what is like really, really important to build a strong foundation for an early stage startup? I know it's almost like two questions in one. Yeah. But, but why no, that's not? all good. Yeah, so uh, I love that you're even calling it like a, a, a framework or a list of criteria because that's exactly how I approached it this time around is, you know, um, I, I even had like a doc that I had to myself. I'm a little bit, you know, I, I'm, I'm like a project manager in my personal life as well. And, and my husband will be the first to tell you that he hates that. But um, 
you know, I had like four or five or six criteria. And after every time I engaged with um, a company that I was, you know, considering for my next role, I would kind of reflect on, on each of those four points. And so the first one is really about the founding team. Like that's, a, that's probably the, the, the biggest one. And, and all of this is, is in addition to sound economics and there's some money in the bank and, and things like that. Like I wasn't, you know, about to be the, the third hire, but I'm, I'm comfortable coming in <laughs> and after there's, there's some product market fit. Um, so like, sounds like a low bar, but are they good humans, right? Like, are they, are they people that you want to, you know, spend a lot of time with? Can you see yourself pushing them or pushing each other and potentially disagreeing? Like, you know, uh, I think the best leadership teams are the ones that can, um, have the tough conversations. Um, and then the other is really believing in their vision. So are, are they compelling when they're telling the story? Do they have, um, you know, conviction when they are describing what they see the company and the product doing, you know, three, four, five years from now. So that's the first area. Um, then it's, it's really looking at, and, and it depends on the size of the company, but looking at the rest of the leaders and, and the rest of the, the folks within the organization. And this could go beyond just the full-time employees. It could be the board members. It could be the advisor team. Um, but, you know, are there people that you are going to learn from or, or you're going to be able to absorb some new skills from because at the end of the day you really have to look out for yourself and um you know as as selfish as that may sound um for me that that means finding opportunities to grow as a marketer and as a business leader um so one you know one great thing that i think mad kudu um does well is is a, a, we have a strong dedication to helping employees do that regardless of where they sit within the org chart and so um you know not only did I feel like there were amazing people that I could learn from, but I, you know, the advisory board um, and the fact that I'm able to work with some of the most innovative marketers and, and marketing teams in the world, um, but that we also have a program that allows employees to search out those opportunities and, and really learn and grow personally and professionally, um, whether that's, you know, attending a conference, like, you know, buying a book, joining a community, you know, hiring a leadership coach, um, all things that I think um, a lot of early stage startups kind of deflect just just given there there is an investment tied to them. Um, another one which is kind of um, difficult to measure, but I call it gut feel. So like after I talk to a founding team, after I I get off a you know a meeting with with a CEO, like how do I feel? Like am I like anxious? Am I like excited and and like buzzing or am I like oh my god thank god that's over I need to like you know go do something else and really let my my mind you know transition to something else um so so that's a big one and then um last but certainly not least is, is can I relate to the target audience and, and to the problem so obviously with mad kudu it's a no-brainer right like we're we're arming marketing and sales teams with you know real-time predictive intelligence to make you know not only the the selection of, of leads and accounts that are, are most likely to purchase, but empowering them to be able to make um, or build truly frictionless and, and customized buyer journeys at scale. And, and so that's a no-brainer. Like at Simple Legal, it was, it was also a super cool and interesting um, situation because I grew up in the marketing app space you know, before it really blossomed into the amazingness that it is today. And, and their, their target audience was legal operations. And, and legal is about, I would, you know, 10 years, you know, they're a decade behind in terms of adopting, you know, people processes and technology in the way that other departments within the enterprise have. And so they were going through that same transformation. So I could really relate to what, what those legal ops professionals were going through. Um, 
so so that's the kind of answer to the first part of your question. And then if I'm remembering correctly, the second is like what for foundational stuff, what are the kind of key things to think about and, and consider? Yeah, okay. Um, well, the first thing I'll say is that, you know, I mentioned background in ops and, and demand gen, that, that's definitely, um, you know, where I, where I grew up. Um, and I think that along with, you know, this, this kind of respect for data-driven decision plays a big role in how I approach things. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's most important in the very beginning to make sure you have some sort of, sort of funnel, some sort of process and technology in place in order to build upon. Um, you know, things like make sure you measure everything um, in the beginning so you have some sort of baseline because um, you're kind of setting the stage and, and you're the one that has to tell the organization what to expect. They, they don't know what, what marketing should look like. So you get the opportunity and it's a great opportunity, but it is, you know, there, there's a lot resting on how you initially roll out um, your, your marketing strategy because it, it does set the stage for, for what you're doing over the next, you know, one, two, three, five years. Um, and then make sure that your measurement is, is through the entire funnel. Um, you know, I made this mistake in the past where I was like, okay, well, we don't have a VP of sales right now and, and I'm running marketing. So I'm going to take care of everything in marketing's lane and, you know, not, not worry so much about, about the sales side of the funnel. When in reality, you're, you're truncating measurement that you're, you're going to end up missing the bigger picture. And so, um, you know, making sure you have things like, you know, tracking conversions through opportunity stages. Do the stages even make sense? Is there a standardized process that sales needs to follow? And, and, and so this lens of, of operational foundation is, is and, you know, I don't want to come across and say that it needs to be super formal and super, you know, well documented and, and perfect, but you have to have something because without anything, you're, you're not going to be able to measure and be able to use that data, you know, one, two, three quarters down the road when, when you want to have a look back and, and see, you know, what might work and, and what might not. Um, so I, I think that op operational lens is, is one element, um, but is, you know, when I think about, you know, when I, I joined Simple Legal and, and as I joined Mad Kudu, like the, the realization that um, is, is maybe difficult for many to, to, to stomach is there is no, there's no magic mix. There's no magic, um, you know, plug and play. Here's the 10 things you need to do, you know, first. And, and I think there's, there's plenty of blog posts and, and other podcasts that probably list, like, here's the five things you need to do first. Like, I don't believe that there is actually a, a magic list of things to do. Um, what I would feel you know, what I found most helpful, and, and it's the first thing I did at Mad Kudu, and it's, it's, I, it wasn't the first thing I did at Simple Legal, and, and I think that's the reason it's the first thing I did at Mad Kudu, is, is really getting clarity on the problem you're solving in the market and, and who exactly you're solving it for. Um, I think it's, it's really easy when, you know, you've got to move quickly and, you know, timing is of the essence and everyone's moving a mile a minute because, you know, you're, you're likely understaffed and you know, work, you're working on raising money and you're trying to close deals and keep customers and all that good stuff. Um, but it's really easy to overlook this step and just really take whatever messaging you were given you know, when you were handed it, when you, you joined and just run with it. But um, truly the, com the confidence in, in um, you know, the confidence that you give yourself, your marketing team and the leadership team and really the whole company with a solid positioning and, and messaging exercise that 
incorporates the voice of the customer, um, it, it's truly priceless. Nice. I like that. Um, so Lizzie, I'm going to go a slightly different way with this next question because I'm, I'm genuinely curious. So I was full disclosure, and this is not solicited by the way, I don't even know if you necessarily know this, but I was a customer of Mad Kudu at my last company at Mixmax where I ran sales and, and we loved it. I mean, it was, um, we were largely like a bottoms up kind of self-serve driven business where we had tons yeah. and tons of in, inbound signups. And so it was kind of like, how do we organize which of these are the right ones to go after and Mad Kudu, um, yeah, Mad Kudu was, was a really good tool for that. My, my question for you is like, you're in a role where you're running marketing, where you are marketing a tool for marketers, uh, right? Um, and I, I look at, you know, adjacent examples of that, like my, the VP of sales at Gong, Jameson is a close friend, and that's a tool for salespeople. Uh -huh. And so there's like a certain responsibility that I've seen people in the role at those companies take on to kind of like almost be like a thought leader to some degree on like what the best practices are for using the product and like really owning that. I wonder like what your perspective is on that as somebody who's the VP of marketing at a company who has like a tool for marketers built by marketers. Um, like to what degree do you feel like it's your responsibility to, to kind of be an expert and, and a user of the product and, and, and sort of speak on that or, or, or maybe not. I, I'd be Absolutely. curious on your take. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, I've been with the company for about six months and, and that's, that's a lot of what we're trying to, or working on putting together and, and kind of our content growth pillar, as I call it. Um, you know, we have a unique audience in marketers. I would say that like, they are a bit more technical in, in nature. And so first of all, as a marketer, we know we are not going to tolerate fluff, right? Like we are probably our, our best and worst critics. Um, and so we have to think outside of the box. And, and I think that telling personal stories or, or being vulnerable and saying like, hey, we're just stumbling in, in, in rolling out an account-based approach ourselves. And here's what we learned. Like, great. There, we have customers that are light years ahead of us in maturity. And we have customers that you'd think are light years ahead of us, but are actually just getting started themselves. So um, just being vulnerable and, and sharing what we're going through is, is something that we've seen work very well. Um, but then also just just incredibly pragmatic content that, you know, it, it's amazing how how marketers are, are nowadays more, in my opinion, and what I'm seeing is is more interested in the tactical advice than they are the strategic advice. And I think that might be mm. a result of, a, you know, Maybe it's 2020 and, and the overload of, of virtual events where, you know, you've got a panel of people that are hanging out in the strategic clouds, as I call them, and, and you know, talking about, like, how you can run planning meetings and, and you know, what, you know, key, what, what different drivers, you know, different companies have used, but not really getting into the, the real specifics of exactly how they did it. Um, so, so we're trying to, to take, uh, some of those learnings and, and apply them ourselves. Very cool. Yeah. I think that that makes a ton of sense. And I love what you said about just like having vulnerability on your guys's own development, right. And yeah. sort of owning, like, here's where we are. How do you find that voice? Like, 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 how do you find the balance of, I don't know, being vulnerable to your customer base about what you know, and you don't know while still like maintaining the position of being kind of an, a trusted expert um, yeah. as a marketing provider. It's like, yeah, it's like being a little bit schizophrenic sometimes. Um, and I think that's where like my role comes in as, as being that, whereas, you know, like our, you know, 
our CEO, Sam, and, you know, the, the other two founders, Paul and, um, and Francis, like they are, you know, they've been building this product since day one, you know, four years ago. And so, you know, they can, they can play that, that leadership role and I can come in and, you know, I have my own opinions about marketing and, and, you know, I'm, I fortunately have, um, you know, forums like this where I can share that opinion, both on, on behalf of myself personally and as, as the company. But I, I think that it takes somebody who has a bit of humility and is um, vulnerable themselves, right? Like if, if I were here saying like, nope, here's the five things you have to do. And if you aren't doing them, then you're wrong. Like that, that that's certainly an approach. And, and I think that there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, that may work for, for some people, but I think you have to go with an approach that works for your marketing leader. It, it has to feel natural. And, and for me, I am an open book. I am, uh, you know, incredibly emotional. You know, I've been told, you know, I, I am, I'm a warm, loving, you know, Midwest farm girl. So <laughs> that's what you're going to get. No, I, I love, it resonates a lot because it, um, the roles have kind of been reversed as well. Like when you talked about the funnel, like I made that mistake when I was the head of sales at a company and we didn't track it. And it was funny, the first board meeting we went to, when I got the question, I'm like, oh, we don't track it. The embarrassment I felt walking out of that room, that now that you share yeah. that, it just really resonates. And frankly, where it makes me go is, and we've talked about this is, um, you've had to market through an acquisition. And now that I look back and you bring up the funnel thing, I'm like, oh my God, that resonates because I've made that that mistake. And uh, w when I hear stories like that, I'm like, next time somebody says something about something that's unknown to me, I'm going to double down and listen to it. So when I get there, at least I have like a lesson. So I'd love to know, like, at least what were the surprises? What was the experience um, of like having to market through an acquisition? This other company comes, obviously they have their biases and their way of doing things. Like, the same way I, I would have loved to know about the funnel example, like what are the top things that if me or Robbie go, go through that, you're like, oh, these are the things I didn't know that I really would love to know. Like, I, I'd love to learn that from you and, and make it as tactical as you want, because I agree, we don't always make it uh, yeah. tactical. So would love to know your perspective on that. Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. But um, okay, so I feel like the first thing is like, holy crap, how are you going to announce this thing, right? Like, you know, there's, you know, an acquisition happens, like that there has to be some sort of announcement that goes out. Um, the re, you know, I, the sooner that you can start planning all that stuff, the better. But the reality is, is that until the deal is actually done, um, you know, you aren't going to be working on messaging in a press release with, with the other marketing leaders. So that was kind of the first um, learning of like, okay, we, we know we have all of this work to do, but, you know, until the, the paperwork is signed and the ink is dry, we're not actually going to be, you know, working together as, as a team. Um, and then, you know, things like, you know, there's a lot of tough questions that you have to answer when, when you're going into that and, and you have to develop your story and, and bring together, like help the market understand what, together, you know, whether it is um, a merger or an acquisition, um, wh what's there that wasn't there before. And, and so things like, you know, will the two companies remain autonomous or are they going to be slammed together? Is there an overlap in, in who you're marketing to? Um, and, and when it comes to the actual announcement itself, you have to think about so many things. So, um, you know, how will the market react? How will it impact in-flight deals, right? Um, what 
questions are your customers going to ask? Um, all of that needs to be included in your announcement strategy and it has to be timed with perfection. And ideally it happens around a major event with blog posts, emails, phone calls, analyst meetings, you name it all happening at exactly the right time. It's like an incredibly dizzying process. Um, but, but what was the biggest learning for me and I'm so grateful to have gone through this is all of that is, is really thinking about the external announcement. Marketers are trained to, to think about how to um, tell a story to a, a larger audience and into the market, right? But it's a, a whole other thing to think about how you're going to announce it to both sets of employees internally. So, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's also something that you're probably working on in secret and, and or with a very small cohort of people to ensure, you know, things like rumors don't spread, that spread, that the cat doesn't get out of the, like let out of the bag early. And so it's just a really interesting, um, you know, situation to be in. Um, but I, I think Poya, what your, your question was, is, is really around like what was kind of like unknowns or, or, you know, maybe like a surprising anecdote, like looking back. And, and one thing that comes to mind is, is it's, it's kind of funny, like how, you know, how little the majority of our customers truly cared, um, you know, not to say that they didn't think it was a great idea, but it really didn't impact them that much. You know, some wanted to know some more details about how, you know, the, the future product roadmap would look long-term, but otherwise, you know, since, you know, for, for the situation that, that on it and simple legal were in, we kept our, um, you know, we, we operated as, as two autonomous companies. We, we maintain both brands. And really that was because we, we served a, a different need across the market. So, you know, on it was more on the, the enterprise um, side and, and we were more on the SMB mid-market side. So we budding those up together, gave us the opportunity to offer a solution that could, could, um, um, could solve a need for, for the entire market. Um, and so because of that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of overlap in, in who we served. Um, mm. the, the reality is, is that, you know, the problem that our product or service solved is really just one small piece of their day. So, so as marketers, I know we always want to think like, but we're solving the biggest need. This is the only thing our, our, you know, our champion needs to do. And, and the truth is this is one of many. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's easy to, easy to think about all those different things that you may be able to solve. Um, so Laura, I want actually one more question I had for you. This is kind of back to Mad Kudu. It, it, again, I think it's rare that we get to get somebody on the podcast who is so close to like such a wealth of marketing data. What are there any maybe like previewing for our audience, any trends you guys have seen from your customer base over the last eight months since you've been there? Um, just in terms of like what the best SaaS companies are doing from a marketing perspective, but kind of looking at it from the lens of what data you guys are seeing at Mad Kudu kind of at an aggregate. I'd love to see like, yeah. I don't know if there's any interesting like trends you guys have seen in the last couple of months of like companies that are really killing it. Um, what are you guys seeing? Yeah, I think that's a, a awesome question. And I'll take it with like a lens of, you know, we've all had to react to, um, you know, what kind of COVID and, and this year slammed at us. And I think the, the best companies are the ones that have recognized that early and, and pivoted to, um, you know, think about what other go-to-market strategies they should be incorporating or adding to their, their, you know, 
go-to-market mix, so to speak. Um, and so what we're really seeing is, is a lot of folks, you know, I brought up ABM earlier and, and it's funny because it's, it's actually what I was thinking about when I was saying that is um, a lot of teams are, are, are thinking about how from a sales and marketing lens, they can, um, they can spin up, you know, an account-based strategy um, in addition to what they've already seen success in, in maybe a volume inbound play, or um, maybe they are adding a you know, free trial or freemium motion and, and thinking about that product-led growth um, as, as a go-to-market strategy. And so the ones that are able to kind of test very quickly and um, figure out you know, new go-to-market strategies and channels to, to add to their mix um, seem to be the ones that are, are you know, surviving or, or um, surviving the storm, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, interesting. It's like that it's all bound. I think, you know, we talk about a lot, like all about, you know, like it's not that, oh, we're an inbound, you know, company or we're an outbound company, you know, you, you know, you're not going to get to that unicorn status by just picking one. And, and I think COVID in 2020 has forced people to, to consider those, those moves early. And, and I think, and I hope that it pays off for, for the majority of people that have been forced into that. So, yeah, very well said. I, I always kind of look at demand gen through like, you have to place multiple bets, you know, whether that's, you know, uh, field marketing, which is now very much focused on like virtual um, SDRs, um, you know, traditional paid marketing content. Like um, the reality is like the shelf life of how, performant each of those channels are going to be is like it seems pretty variant like there, there there will be moments in time that you can't predict where all of a sudden one of those channels may not continue to predict so you have to have your bets hedged um so i it's always good to kind of get an expert on the podcast to uh validate maybe some of the assumptions and, and share some of that data that you guys are seeing at mad kudu um, so Laura, thank you for that. Um, yeah. so listen, I, this has been insanely fun. Um, I'm already excited to schedule you back for another podcast in six months after you've got another six months on your belt and, <laughs> and learn more from you, Laura, uh, or maybe go deeper on, on the farm life a little bit more. Um, because that's, that would be, that would be one that our audience probably doesn't know as much about as you, but one, one of the kind of as a closing thought, one of the last, the kind of final question we like to ask our guests is, if you were to go back to Laura, you know, working on the farm in Wisconsin or getting ready to, to go to Madison for college, what's maybe one piece of advice that you would share with your younger self? Uh, you know, I feel like it would be, you know, things don't have to be perfect. Um, actually, so my, my husband actually wears a shirt religiously that has a quote on it from a famous Formula One driver, Danny Ricardo. And, and I laugh every time I see it, but it says, sometimes you've just got to lick the stamp and send it. And, and I think it resonates so true, um, especially for me of, you know, like basically like I'm a bit of a perfectionist and the truth is that things don't have to be perfect. Um, you know, I, I actually, so Nathan Wenzel, CEO um, of, of Simple Legal would always say that things, you know, something that's 90% complete might as well be 0% complete. So like if, if a blog post is written, but you never posted it on the website, does it even count? So um, there's so many great things that, that markets are doing and, you know, if we don't, like we're saying, get out there and tell the story, even if it's not the perfect story yet, um, you know, just, just lick the damn stamp and send it. I love that. Um, Danny Ricardo, lick the stamp and send it. That is, <laughs> that is excellent words to live by. Well, Laura, thank you so much. This has been a blast. We really appreciate you coming on board and, 
and sharing your stories and your perspective and what you're working on right now with, with our community and audience. So um, sincere thank you. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you and learn more about, you know, whether it's what you guys are working on at Mad Kudu or, or want to connect with you personally, one, would you be open to that? And two, what, what's the best way to get connected? Yeah, absolutely open to it. Um, I mean, certainly if you're looking um, into Mad Kudu, check out our website, madkudu.com. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn at Laura Kendall. Um, feel free to connect and, and leave a message. And um, I look forward to, to meeting some more amazing people. Awesome. Well, Laura, thank you for the time. We really appreciate it. And uh, hope you have a great kind of rest of the week and holidays. Thanks, you guys as well. This week's episode is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite. Oracle NetSuite, I think, solves a really important problem that a lot of startups, business owners, executives face, which is how do you get the information that you need instantly all in one place? Before we upgraded the Oracle NetSuite at my last startup, it used to take us a lot of time to pull the information reports that we needed for our quarterly investment meeting or the report that we wanted to send to both internal employees as well as stakeholders and shareholders at the end of the month. Upgrade to Oracle NetSuite today so you can get the visibility and control you need over your financials, HR, inventory, and everything you need in one place that you can access instantly. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com scale. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash scale. That is netsuite.com slash scale.